This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 217. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am not your host, Riley Bowman. I am your host, Jacob Paulson, and I am also joined today by Matthew Marister. Greetings, Mr. Paulson. How are you? Not too shabby. Now, Riley is not having another baby, in case listeners are wondering. <laughs> the, the baby was born. It did come last week, and uh, all is well. Baby is healthy. Uh, mom is healthy. All is good. But uh, we stole Riley away from his newborn baby over the weekend in uh, Louisville, Kentucky at the USCCA Expo, and he's back home and trying to, uh, you know, help help the family and things and newborn and stuff. And mom has apparently just got a cold or something. So here are me and Matthew on our own. Yeah, we're gonna have to uh, have to do the job for uh, for Riley while he's tending to his family. Yeah, and I am disappointed to say that we didn't get any emails from any listeners who said that they were glad Riley was gone. And so I I, I guess my feelings aren't hurt, (laughs) but it would have at least have been funny (laughs) if someone had sent that email, but that's okay. All right. So today's our usual news episode. Uh, We got a good list of uh, news stories here that we're going to go through and review. And we also, of course, have our Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week from Attorney Andrew Brinka. And so we're going to kind of go through all those things. But first, this episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Matthew, what's your favorite membership benefit of Guardian Nation? Boy, you know, it, there are so many with the, uh, the, all, the standard 10% discount all the time. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the, um, the, you know, the live stream videos once a month that you can, you can uh, get in contact and actually interact with some of the top names in, in shooting. But I mean, obviously everybody likes gear. So the gear box is, is pretty huge. Yeah. We had uh, several guardian nation members come by our booth at the USC expo. And I always ask when I meet a guardian nation member, I always ask what their favorite benefit is. And the most common thing I heard this weekend was the monthly live broadcasts. Hmm. That, that seems to be, you know, just a common favorite thing. So Keep tuned because we are getting ready to do one of those probably next week. Should we let them know who it's going to be? Well, are we 100% confirmed? Uh, I think we are. I think we are, but we'll, we'll hold off till next. Yeah, just, just in case. Yeah. Just okay. in case. Excellent. Well, next, coming next week, we're going to have a live broadcast. So join Guardian Nation today at guardiannation.com so you can participate in that. That'd be fantastic. Uh, second uh, sponsor today of our episode is UltaClip. Our UltaClip actually had a booth right across from ours at the expo. And this is a product that we've carried on our website for some time. There's actually three uh, UltaClip products. They have kind of the original, the UltaClip 3, and the UltaClip Extra Large. And the, the, the short of it is the UltaClip is just a fancy clip that you can like add to anything else, like holsters and stuff. We'll talk more about it later in the episode. But you can always go to concealedcarry.com forward slash shop and learn more about UltaClip. Ulti is in like U-L-T-I stuff. Yeah, cool. So with that said, Matthew, the USCCA Expo, uh, that was a long weekend. The Expo ran Friday, Saturday, Sunday. For those of you who haven't already, you should probably head over to our YouTube channel where you can get the recordings of our live broadcast. We streamed over 17 hours of live video content. We interviewed 
I don't know, a ton of amazing people. All the who's who uh, that were there at the show. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, you can learn a ton, great content and value over there. So head over to YouTube, check out our channel, subscribe, and watch the live broadcasts that we did on each of those days of the show. Yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, talking about learning things. I learned stuff from, from the, uh, from the interviewees and everything. And it was just, it was incredible. Uh, just if anybody that you seriously, if you sat down and thought, man, I wish I could get an interview with this person, we did pretty much. So, uh, I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good content there. All right. So with that, let's roll back this week's Slav Self-Defense Case of the Week. Hold tight, everyone. Here it comes to you from Attorney Andrew Brinka. Thanks, Concealed Carry Podcast, for having me back on for another Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm Attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This Case of the Week is provided for educational purposes only. If you are in need of legal advice, you must consult with an attorney in the relevant jurisdiction. This week's Case of the Week is Drennan v. State out of the Wyoming Supreme Court, and it involves the use of deadly defensive force against an unarmed attacker. The defendant, Drennan, had been renting out a mobile home to the victim, and the relationship between the two had grown unpleasant. The victim was in the process of moving out of the mobile home, and he was angry that the defendant was denying him access to some of his stored property. As the victim stood outside the mobile home, the defendant approached carrying a no trespassing sign. He was also wearing a holstered gun on his hip and had an activated audio recorder in his pocket. As the defendant approached the mobile home, he told the defendant, you push me around, I push you around. The victim threw his jacket to the ground and walked toward the defendant as both were standing on the mobile home's porch, insulting the defendant. The victim grabbed the defendant and threw him off the porch and over a four-foot-high fence in the yard. The defendant landed on his back and tried to scoot backward when the victim started coming over the fence. The defendant yelled at the victim to stay back, but the victim kept coming towards him and said, shoot me. The defendant obliged, fired five shots, hitting the victim multiple times. The wounds would prove fatal. The state charged the defendant with first-degree murder. At trial, the defendant argued self-defense, but the jury found the defendant guilty and the trial judge sentenced him to life in prison. The defendant appealed his conviction claiming prosecutorial misconduct on the grounds that the prosecutor had repeatedly misrepresented Wyoming's law of self-defense to the jury. Incidentally, Wyoming doesn't have an intermediary court of appeal, so the appeal from trial went straight to the state Supreme Court. The defendant's specific complaint is that the prosecutor repeatedly told the jury that Wyoming law prohibited the use of deadly defensive force against an unarmed attacker. During opening statements, for example, the prosecutor told the jury, quote, I submit to you that no matter what the scenario, it really doesn't matter whether you're a fan of old Western movies or modern police officer movies or perhaps even sci-fi. There's one general rule that shines through no matter what the scenario is. You do not shoot the unarmed man. You don't do it. Close quote. He continued, quote, and we believe that you'll be able to find that the defendant purposely shot the victim with his 9mm Beretta four times, killing him with premeditation and malice, and that further he had no legal justification to do so. None. You see, the victim wasn't armed. He never was armed. And you just do not shoot the unarmed man. Close quote. Incidentally, the trial court transcript both misspells Beretta and writes 9mm as 0.9mm, which would be an awfully small round. Later, during closing argument, the prosecutor told the jury, 
Defense counsel said, why? If the defendant wanted to kill someone, why would he do it in broad daylight? Why would he do it under these circumstances? The answer is because he didn't know the law. That's why he did it. Two reasons. He didn't know the law. He thinks he's justified. He thinks he can shoot and kill someone even though they are unarmed. Close quote. Unfortunately for the prosecutor, it is not the law in Wyoming or any other U.S. state that you are absolutely prohibited from shooting and killing someone who is unarmed. Deadly defensive force is justified when necessary to stop the reasonably perceived eminent threat of deadly force. It's true that it may be more difficult to demonstrate a threat of death or grave bodily harm when the threat is an unarmed person than if, say, the person is armed with a knife or a gun, but that doesn't mean it's impossible for an unarmed person to represent a threat of deadly force. Keep in mind the definition of deadly force includes not just force capable of causing death, but also force capable of causing grave bodily harm. That's certainly not beyond the capacity of a nominally unarmed attacker. In any case, no attacker is truly completely unarmed. They always have at least their hands and feet, either of which may be used in a manner to cause death or grave bodily harm. The core question in these cases is whether the attacker presented a threat of death or grave bodily harm by whatever means were being employed by the attacker. If that deadly force threat was being posed by an attacker who was nominally unarmed, he's still a deadly force threat. Regardless, and deadly defensive force may be justified. The Wyoming Supreme Court agreed with the defendant that the blanket statement that Wyoming law prohibits shooting someone who is unarmed is a flat misstatement of the law. They reversed the defendant's conviction, and they remanded the case for a new trial. I've said many times, and as this case shows again, you must never assume that a person knows the law of self-defense just because they have a particular job title, and that includes the job title of state prosecutor. If you like this content and would like more, I encourage you to take a look at the Law of Self-Defense Patreon page, where we have lots of free content, as well as premium weekly video programming, our weekly podcasts, and it's all available for mere pennies a day. And if you become a patron at just the $5 a month level, you get your choice of a free copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, or our popular DVD, Top 10 Things You Probably Don't Know About Self-Defense Law. To learn more, just point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. All right, Matthew. So there it was. There's the case of the week. And this, Pretty cool. Yeah, this time out of my home state of Wyoming. And it just kind of goes to show to some degree uh, for me, you know, how, how potentially ignorant people can be. You know, in this case, we have a state prosecutor who doesn't understand their own state's laws, self-defense laws, something that's you know, you would think would be pretty straightforward and obvious. In this case, was very much so not straightforward or obvious. And so this person's conviction was overturned and, uh, you know, new trial uh, was ordered. Right. Yeah. And it's important. I mean, sometimes we, we put all our trust into people in certain positions and assume that they know everything and, and they're going to do everything the correct way. And um, in, you know, in this case, obviously it wasn't. And it, it I mean, this guy was charged. He, he had a life sentence. Um, and, and luckily he had a defense attorney that was smart enough to argue the right way to have that conviction uh, overthrown, but I mean, or overturned, but think about, I mean, if he had a, you know, a so-so attorney that never would have picked up on that, he's sitting in prison right now. Yep. So I, I, it's just, it's, it's amazing um, how, you know, we put all this, you know, this trust in people 
And sometimes it's, it's not warranted. Well, I'm going to ask you to, for some self-incriminating evidence, Matthew. Perfect. So I, I will openly admit there are things that I taught students when I was first an instructor, when I was very young as an instructor, that I now know are not true. Could you say the same is true of you? Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, maybe not black and white, not true, but as you put them into practice, you realize that it's, it, there's a better way of doing it, maybe. Better way of explaining it that's going to create a better actual understanding of the concept? Yes, but, I, but I'm not going to leave you out there by yourself. I have definitely said things that, that were incorrect, um, not purposeful, but... Um, right, right, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I just know I've done it. Uh, I've said things that are, you know, I, I believe to be true, and then it, I, after the fact found out, no, that wasn't true. Right. Uh, and, and so, and, and perhaps, you know, I could blame it on, oh, I was a young instructor, I was new, but the point is, who, whose opinion are we trusting, right? Who, who do you believe to be, you know, trustworthy? I, I, we did a seminar at the uh, USCCA Expo, uh, well, we did several, but the one of the ones I'm thinking of, I said something to the audience and uh, hands went up like, no, that's not true. Like they just totally didn't believe me. So I explained it in greater depth and all the hands went down. And afterwards, this lady came up to me and she said, well, a cop came, came to a, a class and did a, a seminar, you know, for me and my students. And that's what they told me. So mm-hmm. cop told me, I'm an instructor. I've been telling my students that. Now you're telling me it's not true. And I'm like, yeah, that's not true. <laughs> so yeah. And it's That's scary, especially with the law, you know, I mean, people, it, I've had it happen to me where I, you know, as a police officer, you show up on a scene and it's, you know, cops have been out there time and time again. And they're like, well, the last cop that was here told me this. And, you, you know, you talk to that guy and he's like, I didn't say that. What I said was this, but people hear things in a certain way, especially with the law when it's, there's so much gray area interpretation, they might hear something and take it a certain way. And, and, but there is also times, I mean, if you think about all the information that somebody has to know to be an an attorney or a police officer and has to know, you know, so much of the law, it takes a, it takes time to, to learn all that stuff. And if you get a new cop that comes out, maybe he did say, or she said, yeah, this is, this is the law. And and they didn't realize it, you know, because they are so new and, and they're not familiar. So, um, yeah, I, I, I say always be, you know, I, when I was driving out to Kentucky for the, for the expo, I saw a bumper sticker and it said question authority. And so I was thinking about that and I'm like, you know, you always look at bumper stickers on cars and you're like, ah, I wonder what kind of person's driving. So, you, you, you know, you drive up and then you look at them and you're like, oh, did that match what I thought? And you kind of think of, you know, um, but I was like, you know what? I, th- I think that question authority in a way it, it you should question authority, not in a disrespectful way, but question the, the status quo or question things so you, so you can confirm that you're getting the, the straight scoop and that, that everything's above board because, you know, it, it, it isn't always. I mean, look at the FBI, you know what I mean? Uh, there's always – so qu- I, I, what I say is question that source of information, not disrespectfully, but even if it's your instructor, question it and, and try to make sure that you're getting the straight scoop. Yeah, I, I would give these two suggestions that are along those same lines. Uh, number one, be open to being wrong, mm-hmm. right? You, there, there requires a certain amount of vulnerability, uh, which is a very healthy thing, though difficult to come by sometimes in our industry. But you do have to be willing, you have to be open to the idea that you can be wrong. When someone says that's not the case, you have to not immediately go on the defense. You have to say, 
oh, um, why? Like, why do you? What, what do you mean? And you have to, you have to at least be willing to the, to the idea that you you could be wrong. And then the second thing I'll say is, you never trust one person about anything. You know, uh, I, I like to believe that you know you need two or three witnesses to confirm anything. So if you've been told something by someone, take it with the, take it with a grain of salt until you've had two or three other people confirm that that's true. And try and get as diverse, you know, of those sources as possible. You know, if my instructor says it's true and this online forum, you know, posted the statute and this, you know, case law and explained this, and then I also call, you know, asked an officer and he told me the same thing. That's three very unique different sources. I'm not saying that they're the best sources. I'm saying that at least you're not taking out one person's word. So anyway, hopefully yeah. that's, that's helpful to everybody. And, and, you know, these cases of the week continue to show us that people who you would think know this stuff often don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So with that, let's get into our stories. First uh, things first, just a bit of an announcement for everybody who's listening. Uh, one of the things we were trying to do in conjunction with the USCC Expo is actually launch a, a huge update to our mobile app. Now, many of you longtime listeners have probably downloaded our app before, given it a try, and probably hated it because the app is like the curse of my life. Frankly, it has been ever <laughs> since we started this company. And we launched the app in late 2015, both for iOS, uh, iPhones, and for uh, in Google Play for Android devices. And oh my gosh, it's just been a nightmare. Uh, we we've I've been through many different mobile developers. We've had our fair share of issues and problems and bugs and things we just weren't able to to address. So almost a year ago now, we hired a full time internal mobile developer, someone who's an absolute stud, an awesome dude and uh, loves guns and loves mobile apps. And he's been rocking it you know, completely from scratch, redoing this app. And on uh, Thursday of last week, we released the new version, the updated version for iPhones, for iOS devices. This was after a lot of testing, a lot of work. Uh, we had some beta users who uh, downloaded it and tested it out and gave us feedback. So those of you who have iPhones, you now have access to the latest updated awesome version of our app, which is called Concealed Carry Gun Tools. So go find that. If you already had it downloaded, you should see the update. You should just be able to download the update. You should be good to go. If you haven't downloaded our app before, go search for it. Concealed Carry Gun Tools, you'll find it very quickly. Our logo is the icon. It'll be very fast to find. For those of you who have Android devices, um, we, we, we ran into a snag in trying to release the latest update on Android. So what's going to happen is we're actually going to have to create a, a start kind of from scratch in Google Play Store. We're going to have to create a new uh, app listing, I think is what I would best describe it as, with the new updated app. And then we'll hopefully just somehow try to communicate to everybody who's downloaded the old app that the new one is there, but it won't automatically update. You have to go and manually download the new version. So that's coming, that's coming very soon. Keep an eye out for that. We'll send that message out as soon as it's, the new one is, is available for Google Play. If you are worried you may, not, you may miss that message or not hear about it, you can go download the old one. And when you have the old one on your phone, you will get notified when the new one is available. Uh, it just You'll have to download it from scratch as opposed to it automatically updating, if that makes any sense. Uh, just know that these, the new app is really amazing. It has some phenomenal tools. And in the upcoming, upcoming weeks, we'll talk more about some of the features in that app because it's pretty dang sweet. It is very, very cool. Yeah, I'm kind of, kind of a fan. Of course, I'm also kind of <laughs> biased. But <laughs> All right, so with that, let's get into the news stories. You ready, my friend? Yes, sir. So let's start with Gunny, man. What's the, what's the big news on Gunny here? Yeah, it, it, in case you didn't hear over the, uh, over the weekend, um, Arlie Ermey, he passed away, uh, 74 years old. He 
was known for uh, his role in uh, Full Metal Jacket, the drill instructor in that movie. Um, he's a real Marine, so he didn't just play one on TV. But, um, you know, beloved Glock sportsman or Glock uh, sponsor uh, or face man. Uh, he had a show, Mail Call, I think it was called, um, on History Channel, where he went through and, you know, got to shoot a bunch of cool, cool stuff. But um, really good guy. Uh, funny guy. I actually, I met him once. I have a, uh, on the wall behind me, I have a letter from him uh, wishing me a happy birthday and it's signed and I have it up on the wall. I've had it there since, you know, forever. Um, so really cool guy and kind of sad that he, uh, he passed away. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. So, um, he, you know, he's obviously has Facebook page and Twitter accounts and stuff. So you can, you'll go there if you want to you know, write a message or, you know, participate in kind of you know, the conversation and, and, you know, talk about what, what impact he's had in your life. On to Vermont. Man, never thought I would have seen this out of Vermont. Headline, how Vermont's NRA A-rated governor was shocked into backing new gun laws. Mm. So basically what you have here is we have Governor, governor Phil Scott of Vermont, who is a Republican, and when he was elected, he had an A-grade rating from the NRA. And so a lot of people are very upset, very disappointed, very angry about some new legislation he has now signed into law. Now, uh, this sounds very Colorado-like to me, Matthew, because it's very similar to what we saw here in Colorado in 2013. Though we didn't have a Republican governor sign it. We had a very anti-gun Democrat uh, governor sign it. But anyway, so basically the long and short of it is that in Vermont you now have three new gun laws. Okay, so let's, let's go through these real quick. You have one that bans the possession and sale of bump stocks and magazines holding more than 10 rounds for a long gun or 15 rounds for a handgun unless purchased before October 1st. Okay, so there's a lot there. So first off, clarify, bump stocks, no good. No bueno, no bump stocks. Magazines that are for a rifle, no more than 10 rounds. 10 is okay, 11 is not. Magazines for a handgun, 15 is okay, 16 is not. But these things appear to be grandfathered if they, were, if they are purchased before October 1st. And obviously, um, since magazines, most magazines don't have like a born-on date or serialized, or serialized, you wouldn't really know if they were purchased before October 1st or not, would you? No, and, and I mean, that's true here in Colorado and in other, you know, the 10 or so states that have magazine capacity limitation laws uh, right now. I mean, if I, I have Glock 17 mags that are full 17-round mags, I have them, I own them right now. So if, if I was stopped by a law enforcement officer and they said, when did you get those? And I said, uh, June 30th, 2013. They'd say, oh, okay. If I said July 1st, 2013, they'd say, oh, that's illegal. But they, they have no idea if I'm lying or telling the truth or not, right? They, they, right. they have no clue. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and the one guy, the one guy that might have a bump stock is probably like, oh darn, I have to to get rid of my bump stock. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's right because they're so common. They're, they're uh, really not that common, but because you know they've gotten so much, so much talk about them that you'd think that everybody owns a bump stock. And, yeah, yeah, I, you would. I mean, based on the conversations happening. So we hate these laws. I definitely on record as saying that magazine capacity limitation laws are stupid and bad and arbitrary. And uh, we have a pretty lengthy article on our website you can go read about why magazine capacity limitations don't work. Okay, in addition, and this is also sounds a little familiar, it does Colorado peeps, 
there's a new law that's been signed that requires all guns be bought and sold through a licensed firearm dealer, excluding sales between immediate family members. Yeah, so, so this is this yeah. is the universal background check that that everybody you know it, it hides under the the name uh, gun show loophole. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So yeah, I mean this is a this is a horrible horrible law. I mean, imagine here in Colorado, for example, this means that I can't let Riley borrow my gun. Mm-hmm. I can't. You know, if, if we're like, hey, dude, like, uh, like Riley just got the P365, and I would love to take it out for, 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 for a run, right? Like I'd love to take it out and get some rounds through it. I can't do that. It's illegal for me to go to Riley's house, grab his P365, and take it to the range without him. I can't yeah, do it. It's you, illegal. You trans- yeah, you transferred it to him without an FFL. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm uh, and if he wants to sell me that P365, we got to go to a dealer and pay more money and stuff. It's horrible. So all, we're on record saying that's dumb too. And let's see here. What's the last one on here? This um, is, uh, yeah, these are kind of like the uh, emergency protective order type thing. Ah, uh, yes. That's right. Uh, under House Bill 422, law enforcement can temporarily confiscate a gun from a person who has just been arrested for domestic violence, in which case a judge would decide whether to return the gun to the defendant at the next business day arraignment hearing. So, and then under Senate Bill 221, the state can seek an extreme protection order, this is where you were talking, Matthew, Mm -hmm. that prohibits a person from possessing a firearm for up to one year if a court finds that the person poses a significant danger of causing injury to himself or another person. So, Vermont's rolled it out here. I mean, they, they really have done most of the things that, uh, you know, the gun, the gun grabbers would like to see done. Magazine capacity limitations, universal background checks, restrictions on uh, age. We didn't even talk about that, but that's in here too. And uh, also the extreme risk protection order options. So, yeah. And, yeah. and you know what? I, I just wanted to touch on this really quick because we kind of glossed over it, but it is somewhat of a big thing. Um, the, you know, you might read, you know, where it says law enforcement can temporarily confiscate a gun uh, from person who has just been arrested for domestic violence. OK, it, it kind of glo- we could gloss over that and people would say, yeah, that makes sense. You know, the guy or girl just beat up their significant other. And why should they have a firearm um, at, at that time? You know, just take it away for the time being and let them get it back the next day if they deserve it to get back, deserve getting it back. Um, but when I was a cop in California, we had we had a law similar to this. And it's problematic in in a couple just different ways. Domestic violence cases usually go back and forth. They're not a one-time thing. So, you know, one day you have the the wife uh, beating up the the husband. She gets arrested, goes to jail. Then you have the next week um, because she's out and they're back together and they love each other and everything's great. Then he beats her up and he goes to jail and they're going to split up forever. And then the next week they're back together again because they love each other. Um, So basically, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult when you tie a, you know, this removing the gun just for a simple arrest, because a lot of these arrests aren't ever prosecuted because the evidence is so weak or you have an uncooperative uh, defendant or victim. And so, um, so yeah, so this is, this is difficult. And also, unless you have the universal um, background checks where you know that a, a, a firearm is registered to a person, you're only going off of that other person's word that this person has a gun and where it is and which guns they are. And, and if you can't find it, we've had issues where, you know, the guy has a gun registered, we just 
arrested him. We're supposed to seize the gun. However, he's not telling us where it is. She's, she doesn't know where it is. And we only have so much time and, and resources to go and tear this person's you know, place apart to look for a gun. So it's problematic. It looks like it's common sense and you would think it was, you know, but it is problematic in application. Yeah. And frankly, a lot of laws are right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, and that's, that's, that's kind of a different level of, of problem, right? It's like uh, a lot of things sound really good on the surface. It's like, well, how are we going to, how are we going to actually enforce that? I mean, same thing with the magazine capacity thing, right? Right. You and I both think it's stupid anyway. But assuming it was a really intelligent idea, which it's not, we still run into the how in the world would you enforce this problem? Absolutely. And and so yeah, those are those are good comments. Okay, on to Florida. Speaking of you know, kind of these extreme risk protection orders and seizing guns and stuff. Uh, what is cracking with? Uh, our friend Jerron Smith, Matthew. Yeah, Mr. Jerron Smith. Um, so he was an army vet and uh, he had a quite an extensive uh, gun uh, collection in his house, legally owned. Uh, one day he decides he gets in a, an argument with somebody and decides to shoot at him. Um, right. So basically what ends up happening is he gets arrested um, for, you know, an assault or uh, attempted murder charge, I guess. Um, and he gets released on bond, um, uh, pending the trial or pending charges. Um, and when, what the, when they decide what they're going to do with them. So he's released, he goes back home, but he has access to all his firearm, his, you know, his nice collection of firearms. Um, and so with the new Florida law, um, of course they're not going to come after anybody's guns, but, Yes, they are, and at least this guy. So they get a warrant and they forcefully enter his home and take all his um, all his arsenal from him. Now, they did notify him that he would have to turn in his firearms when he was released on bond, um, and he didn't. He failed to comply, and that's why um, they, uh, you know, seek the warrant and 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 got it and went and forcefully took all his firearms. The funny thing is, is he wasn't, he was released on bond for an attempted murder charge. However, when he, um, for failing to, to, uh, turn in his firearms, he was actually arrested and and booked into jail. Um, so for, for not, you know, uh, complying with the order. So I, I don't know. I mean, what do you do? You keep the dude in jail, um, pending charges forever. You can't do that. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really honestly think that they would have needed the, the, the new law to go and do take this dude's firearms. Um, if you're on, you know, bond or pending charges, a lot of times you can't own firearms anyway. So I don't, I, I mean, at least in certain States. So, uh, I, I don't really see the reason why the new law, uh, was, was referenced in this, but I think because, um, they're trying to show how these new laws are going to work to keep these guns out of the hands of people that shouldn't own, own them. They, you know, they highlight the laws as the reason why this was seized, but I, I'm pretty sure they could have gotten, uh, retrieved the firearms without, without, uh, uh, this, the new laws. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're probably right, which is kind of the more big point here because mm-hmm. I, I'm the first one to read this and based on what I'm reading, just some random dude in Colorado reading this, this webpage, this dude shouldn't have guns. 
<laughs> you know, right. based on what I'm reading. So like, I'm all for us making the decision in a courtroom via deep, due process that this man should not have, should not have guns, which is exactly what was done, by the way. A right. judge made that decision and issued that order uh, with evidence in front of him, and the defendant had an opportunity to defend himself. So due process was executed here. Uh, I think it's just like, to your point, it's making headlines because, hey, hey, we have this new handy law. Like, should we should we charge him with this? Yeah, okay, cool, great. Yeah, yeah. now we have a headline. Um, I'll just quick shame on Fox News here. The article's on Fox News, and they have a picture here with the mags and the ammo that were seized. And under it, it says, ammo and magazine clips seized from Jerome Smith in Florida. <laughs> Broward County Sheriff's <laughs> Office. The Fox News, FYI, there are no clips whatsoever in that picture. They're all spring-loaded, spring-fed you know, magazines. So just so you know. <laughs> all right, let's go to the NRAILA.org. Headline is, Bailed-out banks launch coordinated attack on law-abiding gun owners. And here's the first paragraph. I'll just read it real quick. There's growing evidence that some of America's financial elite want to create a world in which America's public policy decisions emanate from corporate boardrooms in Manhattan rather than from citizens and their elected officials. This was demonstrated in recent weeks when both Citigroup and Bank of America announced changes to their corporate guidelines aimed at preventing law-abiding Americans from exercising their constitutional rights. So long story short here, what you have going on is Citigroup and Bank of America uh, are are basically leveraging their influence to supposedly harm, um, you know, firearm manufacturers. So what does that come down to? I guess it, it, a couple of ways, a couple of things are important here. One is both these banks have said that they will not uh, fund, provide loans, or work with companies that sell guns or certain kinds of guns, you know, depending on on their policy. These companies, you know, Citigroup, Bank of America, don't exactly the same things going on, um, but that's that's in there. And at least certainly true of Citigroup, I'm not sure on Bank of America, and I can't tell from reading this article, the Citigroup also won't let you use your credit card to buy things from websites mm-hmm. that support guns. And, and uh, we had a customer reach out to us recently who you know, was, wanted to double check and see if we had, you know, had the issues with customers trying to buy stuff on our website with these cards because they were unable to buy things from some websites like LA Police Gear and some of these kind of bigger, larger websites. We're, we're probably flying under the radar, but some of these bigger players, um, you know, Citigroup is not letting you use your, your credit card to just buy something off this, these websites anymore. Which is so, scary. Yeah. Totally scary. Pretty, pretty extreme. I, um, you know, it, it, yeah, go ahead. No, go on. Uh, well, I was just going to mention, I, in, you know, we covered this when it first broke, um, I think about Citigroup, um, initially but the thing that that kind of worried me and why um i think this is more troublesome is that the um citigroup came out and said um the, the owner and said um that they're hoping to leverage collective action against the industry so he's so he's saying that they're going to meet with other banks and try to leverage citigroups and uh, bank of america's um, you know, power in, in, the, in the banking industry to kind of pressure other, other banks to do the same thing or come along, uh, you know, with them on this. And it's weird. It, it's kind of different than anything we've seen. I mean, this is almost a reverse boycott. Like, you know, people boycott companies that do something um, that they don't like. And this is like, a, you know, a, a, a not only a company, but an industry kind of boycotting people 
in pushing them out because of an ideological or political stance of that company, which is kind of reverse. Yeah, and to your point, they're looking they're looking for the rest of the industry to join them. It's not just a, hey, you know what, this is a decision for us, like peace out. It's like, all right, we're going to do this, and now we're going to go like lobby to get all the other banks to do this too. They're, they're even, quote, encouraging retail business partners to violate state local discrimination laws, end quote. In other words, so Citigroup is going to these retailers and saying, hey, we don't want you, if, you know, if you're, you're accepting our credit card, we have a relationship with you, we don't, or, or maybe you bank with us, we don't want you allowing 18, 19, and 20-year-olds to buy these rifles anymore. We want, you, we want you to force them to be 21 or older, which is discrimination. Uh, and, and there's more detail in here kind of about that. But, but I, I, to me, it's such a double standard thing. This is something that someone internally, one of our writers, uh, said about this, uh, I think yesterday or the day before we were talking. And he, he talked about how that incident where um, there was a bakery, he refused to do a wedding cake for a same-sex uh, marriage based on their own personal you know, religious beliefs. And lawsuit was filed, and the government told the bakery they have to make cakes for, mm-hmm. for, for same-sex marriages. Now, I don't really care what your opinion is about same-sex marriages. That's really not relevant here. The, the relevant thing is that on one hand, it's like we, the government's going to force a private company to do business with certain people you know, under these circumstances, but we got no problem with, with the bank refusing to do business with an entire industry. That, that's cool. That's their choice. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, I do think it should be their choice. I don't have any issue with them making the decisions. I just think that there is a double standard at play. Yeah, and, and it kind of uh, becomes more entwined when you realize that Bank of America and Citigroup both got huge bailout, taxpayer bailouts. So they're getting money from taxpayers. And basically, you know, they didn't care who they, if it was the NRA members giving, you know, these NRA members taxes going to bail them out or whatever, they don't care about that. Um, and, you know, think about this. What if, what if the government um, started picking and choosing which, which um, industries or which organizations or, or uh, businesses they wanted to succeed in order to pass, you know, their agenda just like this? So let's say you can't get legislation passed in Congress, um, but, you know, you, you have a, a somewhat of a, a control the government control through um, lobbyists and things over certain a certain industry the government could basically go around uh, you know do an end around to affect policy without ever touching without ever listening to the people's uh, you know wishes and, and it's a, it's a kind of a scary thing to me especially with banks I mean banks are so powerful and, and it's it's scary to me yeah, I, it's it's hard one because I, I definitely support you know capitalism and their decision to do business or not do business wherever they want, and I count on you, our listeners, and people in our industry to essentially vote with your wallet. And we talk about this all the time. At least I do. I talk about it all the time. We have to vote with our wallet because it is their right to decide that you know you can't use your Citigroup credit card to buy something on LAPoliceGear.com. It's their right to not give a loan to us because we're a gun company. That's totally fine. I have no problem with that myself. Um, what I, I do have some problem with is the complacency from our, our consumer to say, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, just like, just like it's the right of you know, 
Buffalo Wild Wings to not allow guns in their restaurants. Like, I, okay, that's fine, but I don't have to eat my, my chicken wings there then, right? That's my choice. So we have to vote with our wallet. We have to be willing to say, okay, well, if you're not going to recognize this right that I have, then I will take my money elsewhere. Because so far, I'm not aware of any industry that every single player in that industry is anti-gun. Right. right. There, there's plenty of grocery stores that don't allow guns, but there's still some that do. There's plenty. Of, now, now we have banks that hate guns. Great. Well, there's other banks. You know, <laughs> so there are other banks who will happily take your money and let you use their credit card. So, you know, we have choices and we have to we have to be respectful to some degree of their right. We have to we have to keep an eye on this kind of stuff for sure. But we also have to vote with our wallet. Absolutely. I agree. All right. On to the next one. This is on the maven.net. Uh, it sounds kind of like a cool website. I don't know anything about it. So the headline is, Women, Woman Calls Police Over Man Wearing Pro-Gun T-Shirt at Park. Now, I'm going to tell you what this guy's T-Shirt says, and then, Matthew, why don't you give us kind of the summary of what went down. This man, who uh, was open carrying, had a gun in his, in his, in his, uh, in his holster on his hip. His shirt, on the back of his shirt, has a picture of an AR-15, and it says, All control my guns. You control your kids. So what went down at the park, Matthew? Yeah, so this has happened in Benbrook, Texas. So, you know, Texas, normally known as a pretty gun-friendly state. I mean, he's open carrying. It's legal there. Um, It says a Texas father's afternoon visit to a local park prompted a police response after a woman alleged that the man's pro-gun Warrior 12 t-shirt was making other parents uncomfortable. Um, so he, this man brings his two, two daughters who are four and six, they stop at a park so the kids can play. Um, and he's there with his t-shirt with his open carry, uh, uh, handgun and somebody doesn't like it, of course. Right. Um, it, it's crazy. You know, the guy says, you know, I knew I'd get some looks, but you know, it's, you didn't think that it was going to prompt a police response, but Apparently, a woman calls the police and says, um, this guy is making her uncomfortable. The T-shirt was making her uncomfortable. As it goes on, um, you realize that it wasn't just, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the firearm that he was carrying. It was actually the T-shirt. Um, it, it was, some of the parents said they didn't have a problem with it. They were actually, they felt more secure with this guy there. Um, but this woman was adamant and called, um, called the police. And, um, and of course, you know, whenever somebody calls the police, they don't ever, they can't just leave it at their opinion. They also, they have to involve other people. So the woman says he's making us, you know, he's making everybody at the park nervous, which wasn't true, but she says it to, you know, um, to elicit a a quicker response from the police or give her more credibility. Um, But the cool thing was, was the guy who was wearing the shirt stuck around, waited for the police to arrive so he could, he could tell them what happened. Um, He had a um, a license to carry uh, his firearm in Texas. So he's totally legal, whether he was open carrying or concealed carry carrying. Uh, He was polite. Uh, But this kind of shows just the, I don't know the actual hysteria that has been ginned up about the AR-15 that even even just a picture of it on a shirt is uh it causes guy to literally uh have a panic attack 
as it says in the, in the article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I don't know what is what it was about the shirt. I mean, if it was the picture of the R15, if it was, you know, the words, you know, all control my guns, you control your kids. Maybe she interprets that as being like a threat against her children. Like, oh, that means he's going to shoot my kids with his AR15. I don't I don't know. Um, what's clear is that this is an outlier, that this, this woman's reaction was not uh, normal, that the other people didn't feel that way. This, this guy was not arrested. He was not charged with anything. Um, the officer said that, that all was good. Uh, he said he made contact. He said that the person voluntarily identified himself. He said that, um, you know, all was good. He was, quote, he was simply at the park playing with his two daughters, according to the officer, end quote. So <laughs> what I will say is kind of funny that the, the man that, who was wearing the shirt, he did say, quote, he had no intention to quit wearing his Warrior 12 shirt. Quote, I love my shirt. I'll probably order more just so I can wear them every day I'm off work. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, the other thought, thing I thought was funny is that there's a link in the news article here to click to buy your own gun control <laughs> shirt from Warrior 12. So, uh, clearly, this is a pro-gun, uh, you know, written article on a pro-gun site. So, but you know what? I'll I'll just throw something in real quick. Um, I actually, and you you know this because um, I told you this morning, but I had to go to a um, field trip. I drove for on a field trip uh, for my daughter's pre-K class, and and we took them uh, to a restaurant. Um, and I was going to wear. I had on my um, USCCA shirt from the expo, and on the back it says "Responsibly Armed American," I believe. Uh, it might be misquoting it, but it's something about being responsibly armed. And I thought, you know what? This this uh, article was fresh in my mind. And I thought, you know what? I don't know the um, the political you know opinions of other parents there or um, the school staff. And the last thing I want to do is to show up and have somebody freak out in front of, you know, all these kids and my daughter and I'm trying to drive them. So, you know what, it did change. I, I did change my shirt and I thought, you know what, that's a way of control with, you know, kind of, um, you know, a not passive aggressive, but a way to control habit with, with just without even forcing you, you know, just by kind of pressuring you to feel like you might offend somebody to the point where it's going to cause a problem. And so, yeah, so I, I think that it was pretty powerful for me um, thinking after I changed my shirt, like, man, I can't believe I'm changing the shirt, you know, yeah. but I, but I did it just because. So, you know, I, this kind of comes down to that whole, you know, gray man thing. And it's like, you're right versus strategy. And I don't think this man was doing anything wrong at the park, open carrying, wearing a shirt that, you know, says he has guns and he'll control them. I don't, I don't think he was doing anything wrong by any means. Like I, I have no negative judgment to pass on this man whatsoever. Everything I can read here says he was very responsible, et cetera. But I wouldn't do it. I don't open carry. Uh, I don't wear my, you know, from my cold dead hands type T-shirts out and about. Uh, I, I might wear very patriotic clothing. In fact, the shirt I'm wearing right now, it says, In God We Trust. And it's got, you know, kind of a U.S. flag kind of uh, design on it. But I, I'm I'm just not the type of guy to to open carry, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. In fact, I do believe it should be our right. But I also think that we have to make some decisions about you know what we want to deal with. And in this case, you know, if you're going to go to the park and you're going to open carry and wear that shirt, now, even if you're not open carrying, or if you're not wearing that shirt but you are open carrying, you know, either of those two things, let alone both, 
then I think you just need to be prepared that you you could get the the cops called and you could have someone freak out and do dumb things and say dumb things. And if you're okay with that, if you're comfortable with that, if you understand what your rights are and you're you're willing to put up with a little bit of that nonsense, then I say that's fine. That, that also means that you're potentially uh, seen as a target in a potential self-defense situation. That's a bit of a stretch of an argument, but it is conceivable certainly in, in the right circumstances. So those are all just things that I think a person has to consider and, and be willing to deal with when you make that decision to open carry and or not be a gray man uh, to in one way or another. Totally agree. All right. So here we go. We're going to the Statesville Record and Landmark. That is a horrible name for a publication. <laughs> uh, it's way too long. But anyway, it probably made more sense when it was like a real newspaper. Now it's probably just a website. Okay. So the Statesville, uh, statesville.com headline, I would have taken the shot. Iridell man holds would-be burglar at gunpoint until deputies arrive. And we got a little bit of surveillance video here, but the good part's not, on, not really on video. But essentially the gist of this deal is uh, man, uh, here's the dog barking. Dog's going crazy, and it's very unusual. It's 7.20 in the morning. Apparently dog doesn't normally do that. So he gets up and grabs his gun. He's checking to see what's going on. And there's a man trying to uh, push his way or force his way in to the house. So he kind of, you know, I think he exits the house on one side and kind of comes around behind that man and is kind of watching him and says, quote, I saw him turn the handle on my door and twist real hard trying to get in, end quote. And then he says, quote, when I saw that, I instantly put my rifle up at him, end quote. He asked the man what he was doing, told him to get away from the door and to lie on the ground. The stranger followed orders but didn't answer questions like who he was or what he was doing. And then the, uh, the homeowner, he's still in his underwear, it says, called police and waited. He says, my main concern was, to ha- what was I have to protect my home and my family. The only thing I was thinking was keeping my family safe. And it kind of goes on and tells me the story and everything that you know, kind of happened. Cops did show up. They did arrest the, the, intruder, or the, the alleged intruder, I should say, who didn't actually able to get into the home. And uh, yeah, kind of how it goes down. But the headline... This is kind of my favorite part. At the end of the article, the news uh, journalist asks the gun owner, the homeowner, says, what if the suspect hadn't followed your orders? What if he had fought against you? Would you have pulled the trigger? And it says, quote, if it came down to it, my family is most important. I would have taken the shot if it came down to it, end quote. So, Matthew, what's your take on this one? Yeah, a couple things. Um, we'll, we'll start out, you know, Okay, let's let's see. He didn't call the police right away, but you know, maybe he was just going out there. Maybe he thought I maybe I knew the guy or I was just going to find out what was going on, but I'm going to take my and guess what rifle oh, what uh firearm he took? A 22 caliber bolt action rifle. Okay? So he takes his 22 caliber bolt action rifle out there um and maybe to go and investigate before calling the police. And who knows, this might be an area it, it says it's, you know, um uh, off Wilkesboro Highway, so it could be a rural area, you know. Um, yeah, maybe he thought it was a couple of rabbits hanging out on the porch. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and you, you call the deputies and it takes them, you know, half hour, 45 minutes to get out there. So maybe he's like, ah, before I call the, the deputies out here, I'm just going to go inspect and see, but I'm going to take my rifle with me, of course, because it's the ultimate equalizer in case there's, you know, somebody um, waiting there to harm him. He sees a guy trying to open his door knows that his family's inside. And instead of, in, you know, just 
bringing the gun up to bear on this guy and pulling the trigger, he, he rightfully, you know, has some distance on him and, and says, you know, get on the ground. And the guy complies and great because he uses the firearm to uh, stop whatever might've happened, you know, who knows? We don't know if he would, sure. You could argue, Oh, he was just going to go in there and steal something. Okay. Maybe, maybe not, you know? Um, but in this case, you know, the firearm uh, is, is what kept this guy from going into this house and possibly harming uh, his kids and, and his, uh, his fiance. Yeah. Yeah. Fiance and two daughters, one six years old and the other an infant, it says. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he has a family to protect and that's really what's on his mind here. Uh, I appreciate that he made some, some relatively good decisions. Like he didn't just start shooting, you know, he addressed the individual. um, He had some distance. I don't know, you know, how strategic he was in terms of taking cover or putting himself in a good position, because you don't know if this guy's going to turn around and start shooting at you. Exactly. Right? Uh, so, so we don't know all those details, but those are all things we're thinking about or pondering on. Um, what you said about calling the cops before you go out there, yeah, you know, it sounds real good for you and I to kind of, you know, Monday quarterback that one and, you know, say, oh, that would have been a good idea. But to your point, you know, maybe that's calm. Dogs are barking, you know, and maybe it's like, uh, maybe it's the dogs bark at animals out there or something. Mm-hmm. So it's all good. I, I will, I guess I would issue one you know, consideration or concern. And, and it comes back, those of you who've been long-time listeners, episode one of the podcast, we, this was like the first thing we ever talked about on this podcast. And that was that as an armed citizen, you don't have the right to submit people to custody or prevent their escape. And, and, and that is in fact, not only something you don't have the right to do, but it's illegal. It's kind of the mainest, biggest thing that ser- separates me, the armed citizen, from a law enforcement officer with a badge is law enforcement can submit people to custody and prevent their escape. And I cannot, at least not with deadly force in most states. So to point a gun at someone and basically tell them they can't leave, you know, stay here, don't move, get on the ground, don't move. If you get up, I'll shoot you. That kind of approach and saying those kinds of things is probably illegal in most states. Now, you might be inclined to say, well, that's a problem, Jacob, because, you know, one, I don't want them to get away. And B, what, what, do you, what is it you want me to say if I can't say those things? And I get it that that's, that is complicated. I, I, I mean, it's true that we don't really want criminals to get away, but on the same token, our main objective is not to get them into jail. Our main objective is to keep us and our family safe. And so if they want to run, we need to let them run. Um, and then two, you're asking me, well, Jacob, well, what do you expect me to say? If I can't say, get on the ground, don't move, what is it you want me to say? Uh, I don't, you know, generally the best thing, because it's easy to remember and it's not complicated and muscle memory will work, is just to say stop. Mm-hmm. If you tell someone stop, and you say things like, I'm armed, uh, and things like that, then you're not submitting them to custody. You're not preventing their escape. You're simply communicating that you're prepared to meet them, and you want them to stop the current activity that they're engaged in. So those are just some considerations. Again, you know, it's, it's a little bit murky there in the detail, but just a reminder that in most states, you can't use a gun or other form of deadly force to prevent people's escape or submit them to custody. So anyway. Another Good point. Thing. Yeah. All right, on to localmemphis.com. So localmemphis.com, headline, SCSO, pizza delivery driver shoots man he believed to be robbing him. How'd this one go down, Matthew? Yeah, so, and we've covered a couple different stories about pizza delivery drivers and them being robbed, right? It seems like almost once a month we cover a story um, where a pizza delivery driver gets robbed, gets shot at, um, gets assaulted something because it, it is a really, 
it is a dangerous job. You know, you're driving around, they know you probably have cash on you. You might not know the area. You're going to some place where you're called to. So it, it is a dangerous job. But in this uh, situation in Memphis, Tennessee, an uh, investigation is underway at the Shelby County Sheriff's Office as a robbery suspect was shot by a police pizza delivery driver who thought the guy was going to rob him. Uh, it happened about 9.30 p.m. Wednesday night, 8100 block of Poor Tree Drive in the South Wind Lake Apartments. Uh, according to SESO spokesman, a Papa John's delivery driver was delivering a pizza when he was approached by two suspects and one of them pointed something at him. That's when investigators say the driver fired three times hitting one suspect. Uh, the suspect was taken to regional one in critical condition. Um, investigator says they have four suspects in total. Three others were stopped um, probably walking from the scene or fleeing the scene taken into custody. They're charged with aggravated attempted robbery and aggravated assault. Um, they released one of the names, uh, T. Jonte Woods, who is an 18-year-old. Um, delivery driver has not been charged, and Papa John's released a statement from its corporate office. We are aware of the incident, and the local franchisee is working in full cooperation with the authorities. We understand the franchisee is also reviewing the facts internally and will address any employee infractions as appropriate. So I'm not familiar with the Papa John's policy on firearms, but I do know that there are some pizza delivery uh, companies that don't want their drivers to be armed. Yeah. Domino's and Pizza Hut have both fired drivers uh, after those drivers have successfully defended themselves with a gun. So I don't know about Papa John's either. I mean, it, it almost to me implies that there was an infraction, right? Uh, but I don't, I don't know. Um, now this this is one of those news stories. It's really just horrible because we just have so la- and no fault fault of the journalist on this one. We just don't have much information because all we really got out of this was when he was approached by two suspects. One of them pointed something at him. That's when the di- driver fired three times, hitting one suspect. I mean, reading just that, I'm inclined to be like, well, excuse me, what? Like if someone, if I got a couple guys walking toward me, one of them points something at me, and I just draw a gun and start shooting. That seems. Uh, debatably a little bit problematic uh, in terms of tactics and legal legalities. But on the same token, the delivery driver has not been charged, and the other men are being charged with aggravated attempted robbery and aggravated assault. So based on the charges, I think there's some facts that we're missing here. I think that the driver had some other available information to him in the moment that more clearly justified his decision to shoot than, than the information that we have from the news story. Right. And, and the fact that they are being charged with uh, an aggravated attempted robbery, I, I don't know the specific statutes in Tennessee, but I know in California, I mean, the, the, the statute for or the penal code for robbery says, um, you know, taking something feloniously with the use of force or fear. So you don't specifically have to beat the person up to take their purse. If you um, take that property from them by by way of fear, you know, making them believe that you're going to injure them by saying, you know, you, let's say you have, uh, you're poking something out from underneath your jacket and saying, hey, I have a gun. If you don't give me your purse, I'm going to kill you. And you end up giving, you know, that person gives up the purse. The fact that that person didn't have a, a firearm or any weapon um, doesn't change the fact that that is that's a, that's a, a robbery, you know, um, because they were using fear. So, um, so maybe it's similar in this case, you know, where they might not have pointed a gun, but maybe what they did point was, you know, uh, believably, you know, reasonably believed to be a firearm or could have been believed to be a firearm by the, by the, uh, 
by the pizza, the, the delivery driver. And, uh, and that's why, you know, he's not being charged, but you know, we'll have to see. Yeah, that's right. We will have to see. Oh my goodness. Okay. On to the next one. Uh, WSBradio.com. This is uh, AM 750 radio in, yeah, something like that. All right. So headline says, woman shoots hatchet wielding would-be robber. This is in Tucson, Arizona. Not much to this one. We don't have a lot of information. It says a woman shot a hatchet wielding would-be robber when he confronted her in a parking lot Friday night. The man who has not been identified walked up to the woman and demanded her keys as she got into her car around 8.40 p.m. Instead of her keys, she grabbed her handgun and told him to leave. When he raised his hand with the hatchet, she shot him. She kept the injured man at the scene until police arrived. He was taken to the hospital and charges are pending when he is released. So I'll share a couple quick thoughts here, and then, Matthew, I'll let you kind of you know, circle this one out. Sure. But uh, I, I really appreciate that it says that she, she issued a command. She told him to leave, it says, right? So she didn't just start shooting. She says, yeah, hey, leave. Get out of here. And then only when he raised his hand with the hatchet, she shot him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that shows a certain amount of judgment on her part. I, I don't know, you know at what point she drew the gun or if, you know, she, I, I don't know all those things, but it does seem that she made some, some good decisions here as, as, you know, to, that, to that degree. Right. Yeah. And, and to your point, that's, it, it, it's exactly what you were talking about in the other in, uh, story about the, you know, um, submitting the man to custody outside the guy's uh, home where, you know, what do you say? You know, she could have said, hey, as soon as he said, hey, uh, give me your key. She could have been like, hey, get on the ground, you know, uh, pull out her gun and try to hold him there. But she didn't. She said, stop, get away from me. Um, and then, you know, he raises the hatchet, you know, totally reasonable um, that she was in fear. And so she fires a couple shots. And uh, now it it does say she kept the injured man uh, at the scene until police police arrived. I don't know if she, you know, she was giving them commands. That that could be, you know, a little bit of literary uh, freedom that the, that the writer put in there. But um, you know, it it shows to me, or it's a, I think it's a good uh, illustration of that it doesn't necessarily have to be a gun. People are going to use whatever they have available to commit crimes against, you know, other people or unsuspecting people that they think are going to be victims. Um, You know, most of the time people are killed or injured by a knife or, you know, tools like this. And you don't need a background check. You don't need a, a, you know, uh, uh, to pass a, you know, go to an FFL to buy a hatchet. Um, And so, you know, transients and people like that, that probably have been arrested and convicted and not allowed to own firearms. They carry knives on them. They carry hatchets on them. They carry, you know, screwdrivers on them to protect against other um, transients and people that are going to rob them. So yeah, there's weapons out there besides firearms. And, And so is, and I don't want to go back into the whole, you know, uh, banning firearms thing, but I, I think this is a, is a good um, illustration of the fact that if a person can't use a firearm to commit a crime, they will use whatever they can. And a hatchet is perfectly legitimate uh, weapon to harm somebody with. And so uh, I, I think she did a, this, this woman did a great job. Yeah, that super valid points. I dig. All right, we are going to, where is this, Birmingham, Alabama. All right, cbs42.com. 
Phenomenal names. Okay, Good Samaritan helps security guard tackle bank robbery suspect. And there's a nice little video here that you can watch if you click through on the, the link from the show notes. But uh, this one's a little bit hard to follow. I, I had to like read it twice, and it's pretty lengthy. But here's what I get, Matthew. Tell me if you got what I got. Uh, Good Samaritan walks into the, into the bank, and there's already a robbery in progress. It's kind of, he's like, hey, what's going on? Where's everybody? Hear some noise. And he's able to find, discover, see that the bad guy, the BG, has the guard in a headlock and is attempting to convince the guard to give the BG the gun. It says that the robber was saying to the guard, give me that gun, give me that gun. And he just kept repeating that. And the guard kept saying, no, no, no. And they were kind of going back and forth, kind of wrestling around, you know, with, with the guard being held into a, in a headlock by the BG. And so what I get from this is that at some point, the positioning of these two people is just right and close enough to our Good Samaritan that the Good Samaritan kind of jumps in, grabs the BG from behind, and kind of wrestles him off of the guard or something or throws him on the ground or both. And at that point, the, uh, the guard is able to disconnect himself from this, get, get, off, you know, get away from the, the BG and draw his gun and, and hold the BG at, at bay. Yeah, yeah I, I think you summed it up exactly how i how how i thought of it and how they wrote it to to explain how it went down but you know i think that this guy who pulled the bad guy off the security guard probably saved his life and i say that because when you know when somebody's trying to take your gun from you that is a that, that is clear intention that they're going to uh try to harm you Nobody takes a gun from somebody without the intention of using that gun for some purpose. And whether it's to shoot the person or even point it at them, deadly force would be authorized. And, you know, if this guy walked in there with a concealed handgun um, or a, a firearm or a police officer was called into that situation, they're probably, if they can't get this guy off in, 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 he's making progress in getting this gun out of the guy's holster, security guard's holster, they're, they're going to kill him. Um, there's no doubt because you cannot let this guy get a hold of this person, this security guard's weapon. So he probably saved his life. Um, and, and I think, it, you know, a couple of cool things about this is we always kind of, um, you know, what a scenario, hey, what if, what if a bank robbery went down when I was in here? Or what if I was here and this happened? Well, you know, think about, what if you walked into something just like this, where he says, you know, it, it seemed kind of quiet. It, I didn't see the, you know, it seemed too quiet, not as busy as it should have been. And all of a sudden, you know, kind of the hair on the back of his neck goes up and he says, something's not right. He looks around and then he finds it. He could have just, you know, if he was on his cell phone, not paying attention, just walks up to the counter, it, you know, it, it could have gone a, a, a totally different route. And so his situa situational awareness was was spot on. He waited for the, uh, the correct opportunity to uh, to you know intervene. I would just say you know probably if you were going to intervene in this, not with deadly force, um, you know you might be caring and maybe you say you make the decision. I'm not going to you know do a contact shot or I'm not going to do this or that. I'm going to try to pull this guy off. I would instruct somebody to call nine one one or call nine one one yourself and even you know throw the phone, put it on speaker and throw the phone down before you get involved. They're get, the dispatcher is going to hear what's going on. You can yell out, you know, the address or where you are, um, at least to get law enforcement that way, because you, you know, it could, it could progress into something very bad. 
Yeah, I've, I liked what you said about situational awareness. I think that's super valid. The other thing that was on my mind as I was kind of thinking about this, and, and you kind of maybe addressed this as well, but you know, what if I what if I was armed? What if I'm the Good Samaritan? I'm mm-hmm. armed. And I walk in, and you got two guys wrestling each other over a gun. Can I just draw my gun and start shooting? Right. I mean, you don't know who the, I mean, and hopefully this security guard had a uniform on, but you still don't know, right? But, and do I even have the ability to make that shot without, right. you know, penetrating both people? I mean, that, that'd be a tough shot under good circumstances. Uh, so it's probably not a situation where I can just default to my gun. and like, ah, oh, I'll just shoot this dude. We're good. Um, probably it's going to require getting physically involved if I'm going to have an impact here or, or, you know, buy my time until, they do break away somehow. Uh, but anyway, that's another consideration is that you know, a gun can't solve everything all the time. There's some circumstances where you just you really shouldn't be shooting. Yeah, it m- might not be an appropriate tool. It might not be uh, a viable tool to use. I mean, it, you know, in the police academy, you always – one thing that criminals oftentimes do to police officers, they try to take their good firearm. So, you know, in training, police officers normally train with – you know, doing contact shots to the person's head um, if if they're, they're actually getting that officer's gun. But I've had, you know, plenty of times where I've been in physical fights with with suspects and stuff, and they're trying to get your gun. They're trying to pull it out of the holster. And you don't necessarily, you know, that officer is, who's coming to cover you doesn't necessarily just walk up and shoot the person. Um, they're trying to get them off, just like this guy, you know, maybe putting them in a chokehold or, or something like that. But, um, but once that gun comes out of the holster and now it is a free for all for that gun, um, it, it's likely that that person who's the bad guy is going to end up dead because, um, you just can't let that happen. So, yeah, no, totally. Well, there you have it folks. We will try and make sure all these news stories we covered today are in the show notes so you can find them there. And the reminder today's episode is brought to you by guardian nation and by Ulta clip. Ulta Clip schools. So basically the gist of Ulta Clip is that the majority of clips that come on holsters are substandard and not very good, and you can replace them with a higher quality clip. In addition to just being higher quality, Ulta Clip is also just a different type of clip, it's a different design. Instead of kind of uh, going over and potentially kind of you know hook looping into a belt or, or whatever, the Ulta Clip is meant to kind of clamp down on something. And, it, and you can clamp it down on pants, so no belt required. And, and they, so it's, you know, it's meant to be a kind of a more secure clip system, a higher quality and more secure system, but also debatably a more concealable system. Because if I clamp down this clip on my pants and then I put the belt over the top of it, then you don't actually ever see the clip even on the belt. So if my shirt maybe, maybe rides up or if I'm tuck, wearing a tuck, uh, tuckable holster, and then you, you know, my, my belt actually covers the clip versus the clip right. being on the belt. So old clip is pretty cool. Uh, Matthew, have you had a chance to play with their products at all? I have. And you know what? When I was skeptical at first, you know, because we like to have something that's attached to our belt, you know, that you never want your holster to just be able to be taken off or come off on your drawing. Um, but these clips are like super, the, the clamp pressure is so tight that, I mean, they do demos. If you go on their webpage, uh, I'm sure you can uh, look it up, but they do demos where they like pick people up off the ground with these. Um, that's how much, you know, that's how much clamping or gripping force that these clips have. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really good at concealing, like you said, Jacob, and, uh, and it's secure. And I find that a lot of women love Ulti Clip. And you can, the good thing about it is, you can use it with your existing holster. So you can swap out your clips. You don't need to buy, they don't, you know, you don't need to buy like an ulti clip holster. You buy your own holster and then you just swap out those clips for these. 
Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, super slick. So check those out at consultcarry.com forward slash shop. You can shop by brand if you want over on the left. You just scroll down to Ulta Clip and click on that. And you'll see all the Ulta Clip products. Uh, we, we carry all three of their, of their clips. So pretty awesome sauce. And, I, you know, a quick shout out to the listeners who stopped by the booth at the USCC Expo and said that they listened to the podcast. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for telling us that you listen to the podcast. Thanks for the stories and what you tell us that you're learning and how it helps you grow. Um, that feedback is, is very important. and helps us keep going. Uh, it's, it, it is all the other things that this company does that afford us to be able to put the time and energy into this podcast, I assure you. So we appreciate knowing that we're making a difference because that's why we do it. Um, a couple of reviews, recent reviews we got on iTunes. Here's one from Urban Rage. He says, started listening just a few weeks ago. Great information. Really enjoyed the justified stories in case of the week. Keep up the great work. Here's one from Ecope Man. Interesting username. He says, this podcast is an absolute must for anyone who owns firearms, concealed carry, open carry, or home defense. These guys really know their stuff and give the facts good and bad. I highly recommend this podcast. These people are obviously only talking about the episodes where you and I have done it, Matthew, and Riley's not here. <laughs> But uh, obviously, naturally, yeah, no, they they couldn't be referring to the podcast. Generally speaking, I'm just teasing Riley. When you get around to listening to this, we do like you, and your listeners miss you. Well, thank you everyone for being with us. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Use your app, use the podcast for iOS app or the you know Play Music app or any any other app. Make sure you're subscribed. If you have any any feedback for us, questions, anything you want us to cover, send an email to podcast at consultcare.com. We do get these. Some of them we respond to very quickly. Some are a little bit more involved, and it takes time for us to respond. Uh, and oftentimes they make for good topics for the podcast. So sometimes we sit on them a little while so we can actually uh, record a, an episode that, that addresses your question. But we will get to them. We never ignore anything. So send us an email at podcast at And just a reminder to train right, train often, train safe, so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Takes care, everyone. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast